Welcome to the John Campia Podcast, Episode 10 for Monday, March the 28th, 2016. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by GeekFeed.com. Stuff your geek hole. Hey guys, and thanks for joining me today. On this episode, we're going to talk about Batman vs. Superman breaking all kinds of box office records. What does and what doesn't that mean? We're going to talk about this little service called Sling TV that's been around for a little while. This new TV show, Lucifer, that I just started watching. The Screening Room and a whole bunch more. So sit back, relax. The John Campia Podcast starts right now. Well, hey there, guys, and welcome to the show on this Monday. Haven't had a show up since last Tuesday. This That week, man, got busy. And as you know, there's no regular schedule for the John Campia podcast. I, I just basically put these up when I can. And just last week got crazy. We had a whole lot of stuff going on with work, and also we had WonderCon coming up. whole bunch of things to talk about. Now, look, I said right off the beginning, the main gist of this particular episode, I guess, is going to be these all these box office records that Batman versus Superman is now breaking. What does it mean? What doesn't it mean? And all that kind of stuff. Um, but before we get to that, uh, a couple things. First of all, want to thank everybody who came out to see us at WonderCon. First of all, to all you guys who came out to our Heroes panel, me and John Schnepp, uh, Umberto, Gonzalez, Gonzalez at uh, El Mayimbe, uh Robert Meyer Burnett, uh, Chris Gore, and myself, uh, did the Heroes panel at WonderCon. Thank you to all of you who came out. And a special thank you to all of you guys who came out to the Movie Talk meet and greet at the Lux Hotel there in downtown Los Angeles. It was great turnout. It was great meeting all of you guys. Uh, had a lot of pictures taken, but it was a good time had by all. I got to see some people from close to my hometown. Had one dude there from Buffalo, which was cool to see. Uh, meeting people who has come to meet us in San Diego a couple times. It was just a really, really good time. And I want to thank all you guys who came out and uh, joined us for that. Now, before we get into the show, though, I usually ask this at the end of the show, but I ask this up top this time. Uh, number one, make sure you're following me on social media. You follow me on Facebook and on Twitter. Those are the two main places to follow me. Uh, but you can also follow me on Instagram. I put up some pictures there. And of course, subscribe to my YouTube channel and all of it, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all of it is at John Campia. That's where you can get me. I'm just John Campia on all those things. And if you enjoy this podcast, which I'm hoping you do since you're wasting your time listening to it, if you enjoy this podcast, do me a favor. Even if you don't use iTunes as your uh, podcast uh, you know, app of choice, do me a favor and look up the John Campia podcast on iTunes, and especially if you do use iTunes to listen to this show, and make sure you rate this podcast and comment on it. It helps me out a great deal. So if you like this show, do me a favor and go on in there and uh, support it that way. So new week here, lots of big stuff coming up this week, but oh my goodness, uh, I mean, obviously, we got to talk about Batman versus Superman, right? I mean, we got to talk about Batman versus Superman. So the movie comes out, and as of last two, was it Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, whatever the last time I did the podcast was, at the time, the critic ratings on Rotten Tomatoes were sitting at around 41%. So that's where it was. And I told people, you know, everybody's saying, oh my gosh, the sky is falling. All the critics hate it. And I said at the time, look, 
not all the critics hate it. You know, four out of ten or forty-one out of a hundred is not. Does that mean all the critics hate it? Hate it when you know four out of ten or forty-one out of a hundred of the critics do like it. You can't say all the critics hate it. And I made a point that I've been saying for years. When you get when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and ratings on Rotten Tomatoes, anything between a forty percent and a sixty percent is basically a coin toss. You know, in, in poker, uh, for those of you who play poker, and you know I I play a lot of poker. In poker, when you get two guys go all in and one of them has a pocket pair and one of them has two over cards, yes, the guy with the pocket pair has a slight statistical advantage, but the guy with the two over cards is close enough that in poker, they call that situation a coin toss. Yes, there's a slight statistical advantage to the guy with the pocket pair, but in poker, they just basically call that a coin toss because it could really go either way. So I've said for a long time, when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and Rotten Tomato uh, ratings and stuff like that, when you have a situation where the critic ratings are anywhere between 40 and 60%, you know, 10% under 50 or 10% over 50, you basically call that a split. I mean, yes, you'd rather be on the positive side of the split, but basically that means, look, roughly half the critics, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but roughly half the critics like it and roughly half the critics don't. Uh, in the case of 41%, that's 9% under 50. That means slightly less than half, but still, I've always said between 40 and 60%, you basically call split. Well, the situation's changed because while at the time it was totally accurate and totally true to say right now the critics are basically split, that's no longer the case because as more and more of the reviews came in, the critic rating for Batman v Superman started to drop more. It dropped down to 40, then it dropped down to 38, then it dropped down to 36, then it dropped down to 35, then down to 32. And now, as of the recording of this podcast, Batman v Superman sits at 29%. Now, I still don't think that's the end of the world because that still means, you know, 10 critics go into a screening of it. Three of them came out liking it, seven of them didn't. But let's look, let's call spade a spade and call it like it is. Basically speaking, the majority of the critics did not like Batman versus Superman. And that's unfortunate. It still has a half decent fan rate. The last time I checked the um the uh the cinema score for it was it was an A minus. It was hovering between A minus and B plus, somewhere around there. So I mean the audience seems to like it, but the critics do not. And certainly not all the audience like it either. I mean, yeah, there are, a lot of the audience do like it, but some people are out there saying, oh man, the critics like, the, the fans love it and the critics hate it. Well, some of the critics, yeah, hate it, but you can't say all the fans like it either. Because as of right now, on Rotten Tomatoes, the movie Batman vs. Superman has a 29%, but it's only got a 73% fan rating. Now, 73%, I mean, that means the big majority of fans do like it, but not everybody. Because that still means 27% of the audience didn't like it. So I don't think it's, you know, tragic numbers to have a 29%. It's bad though. Call a spade a spade. It's bad. But it's also not huge, overwhelming positive on the audience side either. It's good. Make no mistake. It's good. A 73% is good. But, you know, it's not like 95% or anything like that. But still, huge discrepancy. There's oh, there's almost a 50% discrepancy. It's about a 45% discrepancy, uh, 46% to 44% discrepancy between the critic rating and the fan rating and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, 
Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. The opening weekend has now come and gone. Now, don't worry. I know a lot of you are still planning on seeing Batman versus Superman, and you haven't had a chance to see it yet. So you're sitting there hoping I don't give any spoilers, and I'm not. I'm not going to give any spoilers for Batman v Superman. We're just going to talk a little bit about the box office results here. And where, how does that correlate with the critic numbers we're seeing and the fan numbers that we're seeing? What does these numbers mean? Well, the opening weekend numbers are in. Now, these are still the estimates. We know in about 24 to 48 hours we'll get the final totals. But more times than not, the estimates hold up. So the estimates give it that Batman v Superman, Donna Justice, made $170 million in the North American box office. Let's put that in perspective. That shatters several records. Number one, it breaks the record for the largest opening in March in history. That record used to be held by the Hunger Games at $152 million, smashes that record with $170. It also uh, sets the new record for the largest Easter weekend opening. That record was held by Fast and the Furious 7 with $147 million. Batman v Superman now holds that. It holds the record also, and this is significant, with $170 million opening weekend, that makes Batman versus Superman the largest opening weekend for any Warner Brothers film in history. Now, think about that for a second. Think about all the films that Warner Brothers has put out. The long, celebrated, storied history of WB. Batman vs. Superman is now the single largest opening ever for that studio. Yes, even more than Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. That was the biggest single opening weekend ever for Warner Brothers at $169.1 million. So it's really, really close. But Batman vs. Superman beat that. And a bigger opening than The Dark Knight Rises at for the biggest uh, DC opening in Warner Brothers history. The Dark Knight Rises made $160.8 million in its opening weekend. And now Batman vs. Superman has shattered that. So all in all, a pretty good weekend for Batman versus Superman. It's got 73% uh, critic rating on Rotten to- or, or fan rating, I should say. 73% fan rating on Rotten Tomatoes makes $170 million. Now, also had a very good international uh, opening weekend. It made 424.1 worldwide on its opening weekend. Now, I don't talk a lot about worldwide numbers on opening weekend. Why? Because... Not all movies open in the same number of countries on opening weekend. A lot of movies like Disney will roll out their films across different markets at different times. So you can't, it's apples and oranges. It's not a fair comparison. So while you hear that Batman vs. Superman made $424.1 million worldwide on its opening weekend, that's, that's a good number. That's a very, very good number. Very good number. But don't read too much into it because it's not a level playing field because different movies roll out at different times and over different weekends. So I just like to stick to the domestic. And on the domestic, $170 million breaks all kinds of records. Now, some people are now saying, well, there you go. Despite the fact that there are a lot of uh, critical responses to Batman v Superman, And here's something interesting, by the way, with a 29% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, okay, get this, every film in history that has opened at $150 million or higher on its opening weekend, and there hasn't been a ton of them, but 
every single movie that has opened with $150 million or higher domestically on its opening weekend, every single one of them have been at least at 63% on Rotten Tomatoes or higher. Every film that's opened to at least $150 million has had at least a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. Batman v Superman comes in way under that at 29%. So Batman v Superman becomes the first film ever under 63% on Rotten Tomatoes to debut at over $150 million, I should say. That is pretty freaking crazy. Uh, So that's a pretty interesting number too. But what some people have now been saying is that, well, there you go. See what the critics say don't matter. It's funny how often I hear people say that what the critics say don't matter. And yes, yes, it really, really does. No matter how many times you say it, no matter how many times you repeat it, no matter how many times you tweet it and retweet it and say what the critics think doesn't matter. Yeah, it does. Now, some people have been saying, well, John, look, Batman vs. Superman just broke all these records. It made $170 million opening weekend. Clearly, that means that all the negative criticism that it's been getting from critics and some fans means that none of that mattered. Well, only if you're short-sighted. Because look at the big picture. If you don't believe that Batman versus Superman wouldn't have made $200 million opening weekend had all the early reviews been huge, glowing, raving praise for the movie. Now, think about that. Go back a week from today. If a week ago, all the reviews and the critics were just raving about Batman versus Superman, if that had been the case... If you don't think Batman versus Superman would have made $200 million this weekend, you're naive. You're completely naive. It absolutely would have. Look, I just, just on my own Twitter feed, man, I had so many people when all those reviews started to come out about Batman versus Superman. This is before I put my own review up, but when all these reviews started coming out about Batman versus Superman, I had so many people in my own Twitter feed. A lot of you guys who, who follow me there, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with this at all. But a lot of you guys who follow me on Twitter were tweeting out to me on Twitter, man, I'm really discouraged seeing these critic numbers. Now I'm not so sure I'm going to go get in the big long lineups for Batman v Superman this weekend. Like I saw a lot of people tweet and I'm, I'll guarantee you guys saw a lot of people tweeting that stuff too. So don't for a second be naive enough to think what the critics said had nothing to do with it. Look, if the critic... Critic uh, reviews that started coming out, and let's say it was uh, more modest. Yeah, Batman vs Superman's pretty good. It's not great. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Batman v Superman instead of making one seventy this weekend, it would have made one eighty five. And if the reviews had all come up and everybody is raving about how awesome the movie is, a movie titled Batman vs Superman, that movie makes two hundred million dollars opening weekend. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It just that's just the way it is. You know that that's the way it is. So don't think for a second that what the critics say has no impact. It absolutely does. And don't think for a second that Warner Brothers isn't stressing out over that, 
you know, 70 or that $30 million they missed out on. They absolutely are losing sleep over those $30 million. I mean, they're happy. They're happy. Absolutely. They're absolutely happy for making $170 million opening weekend. Absolutely. They are, but they're also losing sleep over what could have been because they know, they know that this, this movie would have made over 200 million. And then moving forward, how much of a drop does it take in week two? Now, look, any movie that makes over $150 million opening weekend, you have to expect a, a fairly large drop off in week two because to make $150 million, to make $170 million, to make $200 million on opening weekend, what does that mean? It means almost everybody went out to see it opening weekend. That means there's not as many people left to who were waiting for the second weekend to go see it. So don't... Don't be too discouraged. Like if Batman vs. Superman has a 60% drop from week one to week two, that's actually not bad. Now, normally you don't want to see a 60% drop, but for a movie that makes over $150 million or like 160, 170 in this case, you have to expect a higher percentage drop off from week one to week two. So nobody should panic and nobody should read too much into it. If you see Batman vs Superman has a 55% drop or a 60% drop, because that's kind of par for the course. But I mean, if Batman versus Superman goes into week two, it makes $170 million this weekend. Let's say it makes 60 million next weekend or whatever. Let's say it takes a 70% drop. Uh, that's not so good. Then that's not so good. But yeah, what, what the critics had to say did affect it this weekend because we all know it had a shot at making 200 million and we know that it would have hit that 200 million had the reviews all been really positive. Um, look, and as for me, I've now seen the, th the film three times. I was going to go see it a fourth time the other night, but something else came up. I have now seen Batman versus Superman three times. And, you know, you remember my, after my first screening of Batman vs. Superman, I gave it an 8 out of 10. After my second screening of Batman vs. Superman, I adjusted my rating down to 7.5 because the things I didn't like about the movie stood out a little bit more. But for me to give a movie 7.5 is still pretty damn good. Then I saw it a third time, and yeah, it's it stays solid 7.5. So that's going to end up being my final score for Batman v Superman is, is 7.5. I really had a good time watching it. I have continued to have a really good time watching it. I think it is a fun, even though it is a darker film, it's a very dark film, but I still find it to be very fun. I had a lot of fun at the theater watching it all three times. Entertaining movie that really goes out of its way to give a lot of fan service to the hardcore fans. Because look, not everybody knows what Injustice Gods Among Us are. Or is, but for those of us who do know what Injustice Gods Among Us is, we saw that nightmare scene and we saw, you know, the, the, uh, almost, almost give away a spoiler, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. We saw a couple of scenes in this movie that made us go, ah, we know where that's from or what, where, what that's taking its influence from. You know, not a lot of people know who Darkseid is, but for those people who do, it, it meant a lot to them because they knew exactly what those guys, what they were then talking about on screen. So I still contend that Batman versus Superman is a good film that I enjoyed and had a good time at. And at the same time, I'm not a blind fanboy. 
I acknowledge that the, the movie has its problems. It, it's terribly edited. It's just absolutely terribly edited. The, also the flow of the story was very disjointed. They, I mean, for, for example, there's this scene, like you all know, this isn't a spoiler because you all saw in the trailer, you know, at some point, Bruce Wayne goes to a Lex Luthor party. Okay. You all know that because it's in the trailer. Well, uh, and you also know that in the trailer is a scene where Ben Affleck is standing there looking really intense, staring at the Batman cowl. And then he sees that Robin outfit that says, ha ha ha, Batman, the joke's on you. That's all in the trailer. Well, as an example of really bad story flow, like they went from the scene of Alfred telling Bruce, for those of you who saw the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Alfred telling Bruce that he's invited to this Lex Luthor party. And then for some inexplicable reason, it does this very jarring cut to just Ben Affleck then in the Batcave staring at the Batcow. How did that have anything to do with anything? It was it was a poor choice. Now, that's just one example, but there are a lot of examples of that throughout Batman versus Superman. The movie, the, the story flow problems and the editing problems are brutal. But what I have always said, and I continue to say after seeing the film as many times as I have, is that, yep. Those are negatives, but to me personally, the positives of the film, and there's a bunch of positives, to me, the positives of the film really outweigh the negative. And if you're a fan of the DC Cinematic Universe, here's the good news. I mentioned this at the uh, Heroes panel the other day. If you're a fan of the DC Cinematic Universe, here's the good news. Those problems I mentioned, hacky editing, disjointed story flow, that sort of stuff, easy fix. Those, those problems are easy fixes. If the problem with Batman versus Superman was Ben Affleck was a bad Batman, that's a very, very difficult fix. <laughs> but like the editing and story flow problems, you can fix those moving forward. Moving forward, you can fix those. And look, everybody, look, even 95% of people who didn't like, whether they're critics or fans, 95% of the people who didn't like Batman versus Superman are all acknowledging Ben Affleck is an amazing Batman. He's terrific as Batman. The fight between Batman and Superman, to me, fantastic. The fight with Doomsday at the end, to me, fantastic. All the scenes between Alfred and Bruce, to me, fantastic. Perry White was terrific in this. I mean, on a, it's just to me, look, I fully acknowledge the weaknesses of the film. I'll agree with almost everybody about the weaknesses of the film. Just to me, personally... I found that the good really outweighed the bad. And so I still, I have a lot of uh, hope for this franchise. Now this, I don't know if I'm supposed to be announcing this yet or not. I might not be, but if I'm not, whatever. Um, tomorrow night, that's Tuesday night at uh, 4 p.m. Uh, I'm going to be on uh, movie fights and I'm going to be debating and battling over the issue of Batman versus Superman. I will be battling and uh, arguing on the side for Batman versus Superman, uh, Andy Signor is going to be arguing on the anti-Batman versus Superman side. I don't know who the judge is, and I know we're each going to have a partner as well. Uh, so you, you maybe if you you might have heard of it by now, but I don't know. But anyway, now you do. I'm going to be on Movie Fights on Tuesday arguing Batman versus Superman. So that should be a lot of fun. I hope you guys will uh, join me and cheer me on uh, as I make my first appearance actually on Movie Fights because they tried to have me on before, but scheduling worked out. But now I have a more open schedule and I'm able to go and do that. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, so that's everything about the Batman vs. Superman stuff. Um, listen, I want to talk about this other thing, too. 
uh, I'm I'm a tech head. I love new technology. I love new apps, and especially when it comes to entertainment uh, technology. There's this new app called it's well, it's relatively new. It's actually been around for a little while. I've been a subscriber for a while. There's this new service called Sling TV. Now, if the name Sling sounds familiar to you, for years now this thing has been around called the Sling Box, and what the Sling Box is. It's this physical box that you go to one of your, whether it's your house or somebody else's house, you go to your house and you plug your cable service into this box. Now, why would you plug your cable service into this box? Well, because what then that box does, you connect that box then to your internet service at home. And then what you're able to do is when you're on the road, when you're out of the out of town or out of the country or whatever, you can open up the Sling app on your tablet or phone or computer and you can watch and control your home cable service from wherever you are. So what I've been able to do is plug the Sling box into uh you know uh, my cable service at home. And this is what I've been able to do in the past. You can plug your cable service into your Sling box at home and then connect your internet to it. And then when I'm off in Vegas or something like that, I can open up the Sling app on my tablet and I can see my home cable service. I can even go into the DVR. Um, I can control it. I can change the channels. I can record shows. I can watch recorded shows. It's as if you were in your own living room. It's a terrific service. Um, and I highly recommend it if you want to look into it. Now, the same company... Sling put out a new service, and I can't remember how many months ago this is. It could be three months ago, it could be six months ago, whatever. But they put out a new service called Sling TV, and this is really cool for somebody like me who's a cable cutter because I got rid of cable years ago. I don't have cable anymore. As long as I got my Roku box or my Apple TV or my Amazon Fire, whatever, I've got several of all of them. My Chromecast, I've got them all (laughs) because I'm a tech head and I love my entertainment. So as long as I got my Roku with Netflix on it, with YouTube on it, with Hulu on it, with Amazon Prime on it, and then a thousand other channels you can get on your Roku, I'm good. So I've been a cable cutter for a long time, but now comes along this thing called Sling TV and Sling TV works with your Roku. It works with your tablet. It works with your Apple TV or whatever. And it's an app that goes on your Roku or on your tablet or whatever. And what it is, is Sling now somehow worked out a deal with like 20 to 30 television stations that now stream their stations live over this Sling TV app. So channels like HGTV, look, I got to admit, my wife and I, we are huge into the Property Brothers and Fixer Uppers and Property Flipping and all these, and and House Hunters International. We love HGTV. We really do. Um, We, or it has, and the Food Network is on there. We're also really into the Food Network for whatever reason. We love watching, you know, diners, drive-ins and dives and what, whatever else is on the Food Network. We love that too. So you got, Stations like HGTV, uh, the Food Network, AMC, the History Channel, the History Channel 2, um, TBS, um, uh, CNN, uh, ESPN and ESPN2. And like I said, about 20 or 30 channels are on it. So what happens is you open up this app on your Roku 
and you see a list of all the stations and what shows are on right now. And you can even go back. Like if you missed a show, let, let's say you open up the History Channel because you like watching uh, Pawn Stars. And you see, oh, I missed it. Pawn Stars was on two hours ago. That's fine. You can still go back and watch. I don't know how far back you can go, like 24 hours, and watch it even if you missed it. You can just go, oh, just go back in the timeline and watch it right there. It's a great service. And it's only like 19 bucks a month. So when you're somebody like me, who I was sick and tired of the cable company, I was sick and tired of paying for stations, like hundreds of stations that I would never watch, uh, and all that kind of stuff, I became a cable cutter, got my Roku, I got my Hulu service and my Netflix service, and now I got Sling TV. Those are the three things I pay for, and I get everything that I want. I get absolutely everything that I want. I am so happy with this service. And no, they are not a sponsor of this show. And no, they are not paying me a dime. But I just want to share with you guys uh, something that has been a really cool addition to my entertainment life. Um, and that is Sling TV. Go check it out and see if it might be for you. Because I know for me... It has been really handy, really useful, and I've really enjoyed it. So once again, the app's called Sling TV. Go check it out. All right, we're going to talk next about a new show I started watching. But before I do, it's time for us to take a brief break to take a word from our sponsor. This episode of the John Campia Podcast is sponsored by GeekFeed.com, the world's greatest dedicated geek news feed, providing you with fresh, juicy, up-to-the-minute breaking news and shareable content on all things geek. It's the place to get your geek fix. They eat, sleep, nothing but geek, scouring the interweb to serve up some seriously tasty geek nuggets. So get ready to cram every orifice with the very latest from the world of comics, games, TV, and movies. Chow down on the funniest vines and memes. Feast your eyes on the latest trailers, posters, and fan art. Stuff your geek cake hole full of... Okay, you get the idea. Remember, connect with geekfeed.com on all social media by visiting them at geekfeed.com. That's at geekfeed.com across all social media platforms. And we here at the John Campia Podcast thank geekfeed.com for their support. All right, well, one of the great things, I was mentioning that I'm a cable cutter and I use Hulu a lot. One of the great things about Hulu is finding shows that you're late to the party to. In this case, there's a new show that Fox put out called Lucifer. And the way the marketing for Lucifer looked, the basic idea, I know it's based on uh, on a comic series as well. I admit it's a comic series I never read, but it's based on a comic series. But the idea was that the devil has come to Los Angeles on a vacation. And I'll be honest with you, the marketing did nothing to uh, entice me at all. Like nothing about it enticed me. I, I was not interested in this show whatsoever. Uh, it, it didn't look funny. It didn't look appealing, whatever. Now, now fast forward, the show's now been on for about 10, 11, 12. I'm not sure how many episodes it's been on for. It's been on for a while, but I had, um, Anne, well, a friend of mine and Anne told me, Hey, I started watching this Lucifer show and it's pretty good. And she was a few episodes in. So the other day I had a couple hours to kill because one of my meetings had to, had to cancel. So I'm at home. It's like, okay, I'm going to pop on Hulu. This is the great thing about Hulu. And I'm going to open up Lucifer and go to episode one. And I watched it and I liked it. And then I watched episode two and episode three. And I, by episode three, I was completely hooked. Now I'm four episodes in now. I still have a whole bunch to catch up. So 
Uh, like I said, I've only watched four episodes, but I am completely hooked on this show now. Now, I'll tell you right now, the maybe the only reason I love this show so much so quickly is the guy who plays the devil. His name He's an actor by the name of Tom Ellis. And I'll tell you, I've never seen this Tom Ellis guy in anything before. Like, I've never seen a single thing that this guy has been in. But he plays Lucifer. And I'm telling you, he carries this show and drives this show by his sheer screen presence and charisma and just his charismatic style and swagger and nature. He is magnetic to watch. And he says the, the coolest stuff, so there's some very clever writing in it as well, especially for the character of Lucifer. He's just, you love every moment that he's on screen. Now, when I think about the show, and I think about the show and the parts of the show where he's not in it, eh, then I'm not such a big fan. Like the lead girl in the show who plays this detective, I've never personally seen her in anything, but I know she was a regular on that show, uh, Chicago Fire, I think that's what it is. I've never watched Chicago Fire. I don't care to watch it. But I she was a, I guess she was or is a regular. I don't know. But she was a regular on that for a while. And she's okay. Actually, she's okay on the show. She she plays a detective and she also has a little girl, a little daughter, who might be the most adorable little girl I've ever seen on television. Anyway, the story points are okay and and it's fine. It's it's kind of procedural, kind of, you know, episodic, kind of uh, ongoing all at the same time, but I'm telling you, this guy, this Tom Ellis dude playing this character is just outrageously entertaining to watch. It's funny. It's not nearly as dark of a show as you might think, considering the show is called Lucifer. Uh, It's not. It's actually very charming and very witty and very funny. Uh, Maybe it goes in a different direction because like like maybe some of you are listening to this and you do watch Lucifer and you're on episode seven or eight or nine or whatever. And you're going, no, John, it actually turns really dark. Okay, that's fine. I'm only on episode four. And all I can tell you is for episode four, it's just charming and witty and funny. And I'm really enjoying it. As a matter of fact, when I'm done this podcast, I'm probably going to go out and watch another episode because I've just been excited all weekend to just have some free time where I can sit down and watch another episode of Lucifer because I'm really hooked on it. And like I said, this is one of the great things about Hulu is discovering these shows that you're late to the party on because now instead of me having to wait an entire week to watch a new episode, I've got like eight episodes waiting for me that I can just start firing off. So I'm super excited about that. So listen, I highly encourage you, if you have not checked it out already, Give Lucifer a shot. Now, I don't think this is a show that's for everybody per se, but it's worked for me. Most of the people I've talked to who have given it a shot really enjoy it. So if you're like me and you just thought the marketing for it looked bad and you didn't want to bother trying it, I don't blame you. But if you've got some spare time and if you've got Hulu, I would suggest giving it a whirl. Give it a whirl and see what you think. That would be kind of cool. Okay. Anyway, every week on the John Campia podcast or every episode on the John Campia podcast, I should say, I like to take a little time and take some of your questions via Twitter. How do you get a Twitter question to me? It's simple. Send out a tweet and include the hashtag TJCP, the John Campia podcast. So just send out a tweet, include the hashtag T-J-C-P, and I will see those tweets, and I will pick out a few every episode to read here on the show, and I've got four of them lined up right now. 
that I'm going to read today. A lot of people ask me about Batman versus Superman stuff. I'm going to take a couple of those and a couple others as well. So let's start with the first one. The first one comes from Scarface87. And Scarface87 asks, Hey, John, do you have any plans to do a spoiler-filled review of Batman versus Superman? Well, I'm not going to do a spoiler-filled review um, here on my podcast, mainly because I've already done a spoiler review with the Collider guys. So if you go to the Collider YouTube channel, uh, it's Collider Videos is the YouTube channel. If you go there and look under the um, specials and editorials, I think it's called, you're going to see a Batman versus Superman or under reviews, a Batman versus Superman spoiler review. Now we have a regular review, but we also have a spoiler review. Look for the spoiler review one. It's me. I think it's me, Dennis, and John Schnepp. I think it's the three of us who do the spoiler one. We recorded it last week. But um, yeah, I won't be doing one on my normal channel here on my YouTube channel or on my podcast feed because I've already done one. Go check it out there. But thanks for asking. All right. This next question via Twitter comes to us from Jim Owens, SLL, so, uh, or, two, or two, whatever it is. Jim Owens writes, uh, John, how is Luke such a powerful Jedi when normal Jedi start as kids, but he didn't get started until his 20s? Good question. Now, it's it's for those of you who don't know a lot about the Star Wars universe and stuff like that, Luke Skywalker is not only a Jedi. Uh, George Lucas said he's probably the most powerful Jedi to ever live. Now, none of the movies have ever said that Luke is the most powerful Jedi to ever live, but I, there's no reason to assume that George Lucas has gone back on that. Now, if this is a very good question, if they're saying Luke Skywalker is the most powerful Jedi to ever live, and remember, they haven't said that in the movies yet, but let's just go with it for now. How? Considering what we learned in the prequels is that Jedi start from children. They start being trained as children and Luke got started really, really late. Even Yoda said, no, he can't even start training. Too old is he to begin the training is something that Yoda said about him. So how is he then like the most powerful dude ever? Um, genetics, bloodline. He is the offspring of Anakin Skywalker. I remember Ben Kenobi even said that the Emperor knew if Anakin had any offspring, they would be incredibly powerful in the Force. And sure enough, um, the offspring of Anakin Skywalker, because remember, Jedis didn't have kids. They were forbidden from having romantic relationships and having kids and attachments and things like that. So for all we know, Luke Skywalker is the first Jedi by birth that the universe has had in thousands of years. I mean, it could, he could be the first dude who comes from a lineage of force users. We, I mean, we don't know. So the fact that he is from our understanding is um, that he was the lineage of a very, very powerful force user in Anakin Skywalker. And that he is now himself this powerful. That kind of becomes his bloodlines. Bloodlines becomes the answer to how is Luke the most powerful Jedi ever? Um, because yes, even though he did not start training as a child, he was born with it. He was just born with it and then fostered it. Now, it will be interesting as we get into Star Wars Episode Eight to see how powerful he has become. So, Because we simply don't know. 
How long did he train? How long did he continue to grow? How many Jedi artifacts did he find? How many holocrons did he come across to keep learning and growing? We don't know. Maybe episode eight will start giving us some of those answers because episode seven gave us nothing. Uh, it didn't even give us any lines from Luke Skywalker for heaven's sakes. Um, but we'll see in episode eight, maybe some of those answers will start being revealed to us. All right. Next question. This one comes from Mickey Bell. And Mickey Bell writes, John, Batman for Superman for me tried to do too much. Do you agree with me? And that there should have been solo Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Batman movies first? Um, you know, that's something that a lot of people have been saying for a long time. Not just since the movie came out. That what DC should have done is had a standalone you know, Aquaman movie and a standalone Flash movie and a standalone Wonder Woman movie and a standalone Batman movie and then do Justice League. And I completely disagree. I, I personally completely disagree. Yes, that's the way Marvel did it. And yes, that was the right way for Marvel to do it. And yes, it worked for Marvel. But just because that's the way Marvel did it, that doesn't mean that's the only way to do it. I actually always believe the opposite. I believe DC should do it the opposite. I honestly didn't know that anybody would really be interested in an Aquaman movie. Um, so my thought has always been, and go back years, go back years on my shows, and you'll see that this is what I've been saying the whole time. I firmly believed, even before they announced um, Batman versus Superman, that what DC should do is, after Man of Steel, do a Justice League movie. Do a Justice League movie that that uses the popularity of Batman and Superman to introduce us to Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Cyborg, whoever else they were going to use in a Justice League movie. Leverage the popularity, the insane popularity of Batman and Superman to introduce us to those characters and then let those characters go off and have their own solo films because then I believe their solo films will do better then if you like, I believe now an Aquaman movie will now do better than if you did an Aquaman movie before he was introduced in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. Do you see what I'm saying? I believe that when Aquaman, the standalone movie comes out, I believe it will do better because Aquaman was introduced already in Batman versus Superman than it would have done if you put it out before a Batman versus Superman. And I still believe that. And I do believe that was the right call. And for me personally, no, Batman vs. Superman didn't try to do too much. I Look, if, if that's what you feel, that's cool. Film is subjective. Maybe that's the way it hit you. But the way it hit me was that amongst the problems with the film, it trying to do too much wasn't one of them. It, it just, it could have done the things it was doing better. Yes. But I do not think that one of the problems that it had was the fact that it was trying to do too much. That's It just didn't hit me that way. So I'll have to disagree with you on that. All right, here we go now into the last question of this episode. And this question comes from CB Movie Talk. And CB Movie Talk asks, John, what do you think about the screening room? You're going to talk about it on your podcast, but never did. Yeah, see, there's this new thing from, I think his name is Sean Parker, the dude who was behind Napster. And of course, you saw Sean Parker played by Justin Timberlake in The Social Network. Um, there's this new proposal out there. And I was going to talk about it on my podcast uh, last week or the week before, and I totally, and I just skipped over it. But there's this new service being suggested that you've probably heard about called The Screening Room, where here's the basic idea, okay? 
the basic idea is that you can watch a brand new release movie that gets released in theaters this week. So let's say this past Friday, you could watch Batman versus Superman at home or in the theater, but you could watch it at home for 50 bucks. Now, first you have to buy this device and I don't know how much they would charge for the device, whether it's like 300 bucks or 400, whatever. You'd have to have this device that's in your home. And then through this device, you can access brand new released movies that are brand new into theater that weekend for a premium fee. In this case, $50. Now, some directors are coming out and saying they like the idea. A lot of directors are coming out and saying they hate the idea. Um, and I got to tell you, for me personally, I think it's a really bad idea. I think it's a really, really bad idea um, that has its roots in a good thought, but this isn't the way to do it. Look, I am one of these guys that I completely believe. And once again, I don't work for AMC theaters anymore. I know I did for a long time, but you can go back and listen to my podcast and my shows and all the stuff I did long before I ever worked for AMC theaters. Okay. Go and check it out if you don't believe me, but I have been saying for decades that the nothing beats, nothing beats the in theater experience. Nothing beats it. Now, there are problems sometimes. Every once in a while, you get some idiot that'll be on their phone. By the way, if you're one of those people who you pull out your phone, you text message, or you answer a call while you're in the theater, you're a fucking asshole. I just want to point that out right now. Feel free to unsubscribe to my podcast. Anyway, um, yeah, every once in a while, you get one of those. But it, it doesn't matter. The way films are made to be enjoyed on the big screen with big sound. And you're talking to somebody who has a home theater system. You're talking to somebody who has a very good home theater system. I have a very good home theater system. Doesn't matter. Nothing beats the true big screen, the true big sound, and the experience of watching a movie like Batman versus Superman, for example, in a theater with hundreds of other people. Whether it's a Batman versus Superman or a comedy or a drama, when you get to laugh and gasp and be in shock or awe together with an audience, nothing beats the in-theater experience. Nothing. Nothing comes close. And you've heard me reference a study, but a study was done a while ago too that showed that as people are saying, well, with the advent of home theater systems, people will uh, stop going to theaters. Actually, as it turns out, people with the best home theater systems tend to go to movies more than people without home theater systems. And that may sound surprising, but really it's not because the people with home theater systems, they're the people who appreciate having the best experience with the movie as possible. And nothing beats an in-theater experience. So while I have a great home theater set up for myself, I'm somebody who appreciates big screen, big sound, and nothing beats a movie theater. And that's just the way movies are meant to be seen. Look, I love Avengers. I love Avengers now. I can watch Avengers at home and have a really good time watching it. But not never have I enjoyed the Avengers as much as when I got to watch it in a movie theater on the biggest possible screen with the biggest possible sound and a big audience cheering and laughing along with me. I, I've seen Avengers, the first Avengers film, dozens of times. 
most of them at home. And I enjoy watching it at home on my big screen and my great sound system and all that. I do. I enjoy it very, very much. But never have I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed watching it in the movie theater. I've seen 40-Year-Old Virgin maybe a hundred times by now. It's my all-time favorite comedy. Uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin and uh, Noises Off will often jump and switch places as my number one and my number two all-time favorite comedies. Today, 40-Year-Old Virgin is my number one um, and uh, Noises Off is my number two. I must have seen it a hundred times. And I enjoy it every time I watch it. But never have I enjoyed The 40-Year-Old Virgin as much as I enjoyed it when I watched it in that movie theater with 300 other people, strangers, laughing along with me. It's just the best. It's the absolute best. And as a financial model, um, I just don't think Sean Parker's The Screening Room idea works. I just do not think it works at all. The movie industry as it is cannot exist without the theater, without the, without the exhibitors. That is where um, a movie makes the vast majority of its money. That's where they make the vast majority of their income. And a movie that has a theatrical release will do better on home video if it had a theatrical release. And that's a lot of movies will just put out a, a, a film in theaters. A lot of studios will sometimes put a film out in theaters just so they can have decent home video rental or purchases because they know the movies that, that have theatrical releases do better on home video than the ones that don't. So yeah, there are a lot of exciting new paradigms happening now. Like with, with Amazon and Netflix uh, producing original content now, that's exciting because it means that there are some movies now that weren't going to get produced that maybe deserve to get produced and now they have a new home. And maybe it never would have been made and never would have had a shot to have a theatrical release, but now they can. And I think that's exciting. I think it opens the doors for a lot of different things. But I don't think that this day and date release idea where you release it to home video the same day you put it in theaters for a $50 charge... I don't think that's the answer. Now, I know I got a number of friends of mine who really hate the idea. I've got a number of friends of mine who really like the idea. And I'd be really curious to know what you think about it. To me, I think it just damages the movie industry as a whole. I think it damages the movie industry as a whole and will lead us down a very dark path. I don't like using slippery slope arguments. I really don't. But this is one of those instances where I think it will start something that once you start down that rabbit hole, you can't turn around and go back. You can't plug this one. And this isn't new technology either. Like this isn't about being afraid of new technology. New technology is great, but new technology that's applied in the right way and being leveraged the right way, that's the important thing. And while, and, and you know, being able to stream movies to home, that's not new technology. This has been around for eight years or longer. But I just don't think it's a good idea. I think it'll be bad for the movie industry in the long run, which ultimately means in the wrong run, it's also bad for film fans. So, nah, me, myself, I don't like the idea. Anyway, I would love to know what your opinion is. Maybe you think it's a terrific idea and you think it would be great for that to happen. I want to hear your thoughts. Make sure you guys tweet to me. Send me your thoughts and everything on this show um, and on this topic and any other topics we covered on this today's episode. Again, thank you so much for joining me. Make sure you're following me on my social media channels on Twitter and on Facebook at John Campy. Once again, make sure you 
open up iTunes and help me out by commenting and rating this podcast, the John Canby podcast in iTunes. That would be awesome for me. So again, and don't forget tomorrow, uh, find me on uh, Screen Junkies and cheer me on as I argue for Batman versus Superman. All right, guys, that'll do it for it uh, for me for this episode of the John Canby podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. And until next time, bye-bye.